0: Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name's John, I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live but we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. Well, good evening. Good to see you guys. My name's John. I'm the lead pastor here, and we are just so glad that you are here, especially if you're new here. We are just really glad to to get to know you, to meet you, and uh, maybe you came in a little bit after we had our announcement video. So if you're new, I just want you to know we have a gift for you. We call it a party favor, if you will. But if you're new, you can fill out that welcome card that's in the seat in front of you with some really easy information, and then after the service, you can go to the lobby at the information table and give that person that's behind the table uh, your card, and we'll get you a free gift. And if you're watching online, uh, you gotta come in person to get a free gift. So, but we're glad you're watching. We're glad that you are online wherever you are, when, ever you are and just one quick announcement we are at the tail end of a financial uh, campaign to raise money for that parking lot you got to park in today with straight lines and everything I know. So um, two-thirds of the money raised in our Safe Spaces campaign went to that parking lot, and then another third is going to an organization called Every Child that works with foster families and foster kids. And we, are, we, we set the goal of raising $15,000. Right now, we are a, just a smidge under $12,000 that we've raised so far, <laughs> which is thanks to you guys, thanks to you watching online. And so we really, to meet our goal, we need to raise 3000 more dollars. So if each of you gave $1,000 tonight, we'd be way above our goal. Wouldn't that be great? Just something to think about for later. But uh, you, I think you're here on a really good night. There's really no bad Cross Creek night. That's what I've been kind of realizing. You know, for a lot of people, I'm, I'll just kind of talk for myself a little bit. For a lot of people, you're know, like going to work. It's like, okay, let's go to work. And I've been to churches where I've been involved. It's like, okay, let's go to church. But like, I can't wait to hang out here. This is a cool place to hang out. I think if I wasn't getting paid, I might still come here. <laughs> so I, you, I, you're here on a good Sunday. I think every Sunday is a good Sunday, but we are finishing up our series called Better Together, where we've been talking about how we really, you know, it's God made us to be together. There are some things we can't do alone. There's some, some things we can't be alone we actually become better when we are with each other when we are helping each other and so we're on the fourth part of that series we're at the very end the end of the movie if you will and you know as we've been going through this series we've been talking about how great it is to be with people how you know how, how fun it can be you know it's it's fun to have people you enjoy right even if you're an introvert there's some people you enjoy if you go to a party, even as an introvert, at least there's, if there's that one person you enjoy and you kind of stick with them, you know, you can have fun at that party. You extroverts are like, I am the party, don't worry about me, I'm set. And you've ditched your introvert friends, you shouldn't do that at a party, it's very scary for us. But it's fun to have people to have fun with, right? I think that's kind of obvious. But then life gets hard, right? Life, life gets difficult, life isn't always a party, and there's discouragement it's easy. I think it's pretty easy to get discouraged in life. Um, some of you might know that we were, we were trying to sell our house and get a different house for our kids to have a yard because we have no backyard, and they're driving us crazy in the summer, and they have to get outside, and, you know, the front yard's okay, but there's, like, cars that drive really fast in the front yard, so we're trying to, get, we're trying to sell our house all summer long, and nobody bit. Nobody bit at all, and it was so discouraging. We were told, you know, put your house on the market. Oh, it's such a great location, da da da, da. it will sell in two weeks, and nobody even wanted to see it in the first two weeks. And then we found a house. We, we put it on the market because we had a house we really liked, and then that house got sold, and now we just basically decided to take our house off the market, and so we're sticking where we are. And that has been discouraging. It really has. Um, maybe you've had discouragement in jobs before. Uh, I remember one job I had, I was like in line for a promotion and it's something I was working towards. I'd work extra hours. I'd do whatever was asked for me to get this promotion. They, they told me, you know, you are the one to get this promotion. And then they didn't, even get, they, didn't, they didn't even look at my resume when it was time for to hire the person for the promotion. And it just kind of sucks the wind out of you, right? That discouragement. And you've all, I know we've all been there, right? Whether it's, whether it's your job, like a promotion whether it's you know, a boss that you, know, you, you thought would be great to work under and now they really aren't that great to work under, or a hire you thought this is gonna fix everything and now they've made even more work for you. You thought you'd make this much money by now and now you haven't. Um, your kids, none of your, none of your kids are disappointments, right? They never discourage you because they are always just do exactly what you ask them to do. They always obey in public they always get good grades, and the teachers always say, man, I, I just wish I had 20 of them. We can be discouraged with our kids or relationships, right? I think there's, there's seasons in marriage that can be discouraging. Or maybe you get discouraged in life because you've been trying to have all three of those things, a job or kids or a spouse or a relationship, and that's just not happening, and it's discouraging, Life can be discouragement, and they're discouraging. And when you're discouraged, it's just like, oh, why? Almost that feeling, like, why get out of bed in the morning? Like, things just keep happening. In fact, discouragement sucks the life out of life, doesn't it? When you're feeling super discouraged, like things just aren't going your way, it feels like there's no, there's no life to life. There's no excitement. There's just getting up and doing the routine and going through it like this cycle of things going wrong, right? It's like something starts, start, maybe something starts going well, and then, well, sure sure as you know it, something else breaks. Something else goes wrong, right? You just started getting traction, and then it all falls apart. And everyone has been there, which really, I mean, it's not a new problem. It's not like a modern-day problem. It's an ancient problem. The, the wisest king in the world, as some people call him, Solomon, face discouragement and he talked about that he said two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor if either of them falls down one can help the other up but pity anyone who falls has no one to help them up see that that pit that you can fall down it could be like a physical pit and yeah it sucks to fall down a pit and have nobody to help you up because we all fall down pits like every other day right but i think we can kind of put this into our world where we can fall into a pit of discouragement if we fall into this discouragement, there's nobody there to lift us up. It's, it's pitiful. There's, it's pity us, right? Maybe we, we throw a pity party. But when you are in a pit of discouragement, it's great to have someone to help pull you out. It's amazing to have somebody pull you out with that, that work thing I was talking about. The day they said, you know, we're not even gonna look at your resume. You're not, you're not getting the promotion. A friend of mine heard about it, bought a bottle of scotch and came over and we hung out. And he was like, what were they thinking? Like over and over, what is wrong with them? What is wrong? And I was like, yeah. And he just let me vent. And it was actually a really, a really cool time. But I had that friend to lift me out of that pit of discouragement with the house stuff. right? My wife Liz, I get down on the house like, oh, we'll never get a yard, blah, blah, blah. She's like, yes, we will. It's just not time yet. right?" God has something for us. He has something better than that house we wanted. Lifting me out of that, that pit, that pit of despair. And it kind of gives you life. It gives, gives you a reason to keep going. Encouragement is life-giving. See, discouragement sucks life out of life, but real encouragement, really being encouraged by somebody who knows you and cares about you, it gives you life. It brings hope, optimism, right? It gives you the will to fight for something better. That's why every time I'm watching a movie... Uh, with, my, with my boys, and I'll do this with my daughter too, but she's not old enough yet. I'm watching this, a movie with the boys, and the hero, if, if it's a guy, usually like, falls down and is discouraged and can't do much, and he's just been beaten down, and then his wife or his girlfriend or whoever comes, and like, says, no, you can do it. You are, you're the man I married. I know you can do this. I'm like, See, boys, that's why you need to look for a good woman because she will always encourage you. Because encouragement is life-giving. When you have somebody who encourages you, you feel like you can take on the world, right? In fact, I think encouragement is so important, or actually, encouragement is so important, it's why the Apostle Paul says that it's, it's really one of the ways we can live out the law of love, of loving each other as Jesus loved us. He wrote this in 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, encourage one another. How do we, every command in the New Testament, really, in the New Testament writings is really a way to live out the law of love. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing, he writes to them. It's a way to live out Jesus's law of love. And so I did, as I read that and we were talking about being better together, thinking about encouragement and how that makes us better, I did what I always do when I prepare for a a message like this. Right? I'm like, okay, so how do, I, how do I actually teach this idea? So I Googled how to encourage people. That's where I get all my sermon ideas. Just Google it. And so I Googled how to encourage people, how to encourage someone, and I found some really nice ideas. Here's, here's six ideas with some really creepy pictures. This <laughs> is from WikiHow, how to encourage people. Encourage even the smallest effort. Good job, you spelled your name right, buddy. Nice work. There's another one. Stop finding fault with the wrong and applaud the right. If you can see the picture, the guy's like, hey, you, you, you burned the toast. Oh, hey, it's okay, you've got the butter though. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. Look for outwardly demonstrable ways to encourage a person. Good job, champ, here's a sticker. You did so good, let's take a picture together. That's encouraging, right? Make positive comments. Your hair is on point today. Well done. You you figured out the combing thing. Notice when someone does something good. I know that guy looks angry with the lady helping the um, experienced lady coming up, but he's actually got a little grin. So he's like, "That's encouraging." They're both walking together. Good job. And one more. Have a good upbeat attitude. Hey, your dog just died, but everything's okay. Aren't I encouraging? See, aren't there nice? Wouldn't that be nice if people did that for you? Oh, it'd be so encouraging. It's, you know, it's 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 nice, but that's really all it is, right? Hey, yay, you're you and you're here, and let's pretend everything's good. But what about real problems, when like real life happens is like cancer, right? When your friend finds out they have cancer. When a loved one dies. When your kids actually are rebellious because every kid is at some point. When finances aren't the way you want them to go. When you do lose a job or that promotion. See, a smiley face sticker and a good job sport. You tried hard. I don't know where you're going to work tomorrow but nice try. It's not very encouraging, is it? See, and so, you know, we're good friends and when our friends go through hard things, we try to be a good friend and try to really encourage and so, you know, we lie. Well, I want to encourage you, so I'm going to lie. Oh, things will get better. Everything has a reason. It's it's going to be okay. How do you know? Do you know the, how do you know everything's gonna be okay? You don't, it might get a lot worse. Like you think things are bad now, just wait until a month from now when this other thing happens. That's not very encouraging, is it? <laughs> how do you know things are gonna get better? How do you know things are gonna be okay? But wouldn't it actually be encouraging if you if you did know the future? Like if you did know like what, what you're going through right now is going to work out? It is going to be okay? Like, you knew for sure that things would get better. See, there's something deeper. There's something better and and more real than just simply writing encouraging notes and these vague ideas of assurance. It's actually, this deeper encouragement is actually one of the central beliefs Jesus followers have had since really even before they were called Christians. It's this real encouragement that we're going we're to discover tonight. It's one of the things Jesus followers have been mocked for for two thousand years. It might be one of the reasons you left. Maybe one of the reasons you're like, you know, Christians are—they're nice and all, but they're weird. And Christianity's got these like kind of dumb ideas. It's one of the reasons why you might think Christianity's got this mythological feel to it, and it all really has to do with the end of the world. I know that's super encouraging. But really, the end of the world and what, what uh, Jesus' followers followers believe about the end of the world is actually the secret to true encouragement. Now, if you're, if you're not a Jesus follower, what you're going to get to do tonight is actually peek behind the curtain. At one, of the, one of the probably most um, very misunderstood idea, but a very core idea of what Christianity is. So you just kind of get to be on a fact-finding mission. And be like, What is that? ideal. But I've kind of heard people about it. I know there's like this thing about books and stuff. We're not going to go into all that kind of stuff. But what we're going to see really is that uh, the Apostle Paul is going to explain to us how this end of the world idea and encouraging each other and being better together actually go hand in hand. And so we read one of the verses. It's in the, the book. It's an ancient letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. Uh, We call it the first Thessalonians. It's the first letter he wrote to some Jesus followers in Thessalonica. He actually wrote it around 51 AD, so 20 years after Jesus was on the earth and was crucified and resurrected. And he's basically writing this letter to encourage them. And what we're going to find out about encouragement is that truth destroys the power of discouragement. Discouragement can feel like it has this power over us, but when we actually realize the truth, when we remind each other of the truth, discouragement loses its power over us. And so, you can, if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, we'll have everything on the screen. But we'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting at verse 10. We read verse, verse 11 already, but I kind of want to put it in the context that, that Paul's doing. So let's look at that again. First Thessalonians 5, 10, and 11. He died, Jesus, died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now, the old pastor joke that I grew up hearing, and it actually it's, it's, it's good because it kind of helps you like, okay, when I'm, when I'm reading the biblical writings, kind of, how do I read it and understand it? When you see the word therefore, you know what question you're supposed to ask? Oh, somebody's been in church. What's the therefore? Therefore. See, when I read that verse just by itself, verse 11 by itself, therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you were doing, like that's nice. It's nice to be encouraging. Maybe you had thoughts of giving the smiley face sticker and the pat on the back. But why do we encourage each other? What do we encourage each other with? Verse 10. So you gotta put it in context. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. He died for us. Basically, the whole story of Jesus, the whole point of Jesus, the main root of Christianity, that God loves us, that God is for us, that he loves us so much he wants to have a relationship with us for eternity, a relationship and a life that could start now and last forever. And it's a free gift. We, don't, we can't do anything to earn it, and, and we don't deserve it because really we've all broken the law of love that I've kind of talked about earlier. The law of love. There, Jesus was asked, what's, the biggest, what's God's greatest commandments? And he said, love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And we've all broken those laws in some way. We've all put ourselves as more important than other people. We've all hurt people. That's what the biblical writers call sin. When you hear sin, don't think like, oh, you know, the rules and all that type of thing. Here's my definition of sin I came up with in the shower the other day. Sin is this. Sin is saying, what I want is more important than you. What I want is more important than you and what's good for you. I put myself and not even my needs, but just what I would prefer, what I want over you, My wants are more important than you. That's sin. We've all done that. We've all broken the law of love. We've all put our wants over other people. And so, there's there's this, this tension. See, God loves us. He's for us. He wants an eternal relationship with us. We're his kids. We're all his kids, right? He's created all of us, but we keep hurting each other. We've all hurt somebody, There's there's been some serious hurts. And if God's a good dad, he's going to do something about people hurting his kids, isn't he? He's going to punish. He's got to do something. And so he's got this dilemma. He he loves us, wants to be with us, but he's got to do something about the sin. And really the only way to destroy sin is to destroy sinners because then the sin stops, right? So what does he do? He doesn't want to destroy us, but he wants to destroy sin. So he puts that consequence on himself. He comes as Jesus, 100% God, 100% human. He took the punishment of our sin, of us hurting each other, and he paid that penalty, took the punishment on the cross. That's the whole point of the cross, of him taking that punishment for us, where our sin can be removed because it's been the word is atoned for or paid for, right? The fine has already been paid by that death and so that the sin can be destroyed, yet we can live. That's the whole point of Jesus coming. And so how do we get that sin removed? By, you know, giving a lot of money to a parking lot campaign? No. It's a good idea to do that. By reading a bunch of Bible verses and memorizing them, No. Oh, I know by, you know, posting I love Jesus on Facebook every other day. No, just simply by trusting that that penalty has been paid by the cross, that it actually worked, that your sin can be removed, by trusting that Jesus did what he said he would do, make a way for us to be right with God. See, Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you. He is for you. When everything seems against you, remember, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus, God in a body, chose to come down and die for you. Jesus died. He actually died a death on a terrible cross to pay your penalty. Jesus died for you you. He is so for you that he, will, he did die for you. When things are not going well, when life seems like it won't get better, Jesus died for you. And Paul's saying here, Jesus died for you so that you can live with him. And what he's doing, he's reminding these Jesus followers of a promise Jesus made before his before his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. This is what Jesus said. Do not let your. Heart, he's talking to his his twelve disciples because he's about to leave. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You're about to see some crazy stuff. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. And take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. Now, doesn't that if you take if you've been in church for a while, try to take those glasses off for a second, put on the before you follow Jesus cap. If you're not a Jesus follower, you're checking things out. It's okay to admit that's weird. Jesus said, "If I go I'm gonna, hey, I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise again, everything, you know, I'm, but it's gonna be okay, right? I'm I'm going to heaven." And I'm, I'm making a new heaven and a new earth for you. And I'm going to come back. And I'm going to take you with me. Right? And how that all works out, we're not going to get into that right now. Because nobody truly knows the whole answer to that. But he said, I am coming back for you. There's going to be an end of the world. And I'm going to come back and make everything right. Now, why do I believe that? Well, because Jesus said it. If some dude just came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to die and I'm going to take you to heaven someday. You're nuts. Why do I believe? Because a few sentences before that, Jesus said, hey guys, I'm going to be crucified, but don't worry, in three days I'm going to rise again. He had just predicted his own death and resurrection. So anything he says in that conversation, I'm probably going to believe because he pulled off the whole resurrection thing. So if he promises he's coming back, he's coming back. So Paul says, hey, Jesus followers, when things get impossibly hard and discouraging, when you are just in that pit of discouragement, remind each other that Jesus died for you and he is coming back for you. He will set everything right. Every hurt will be undone. There's a happy ending. Everything actually will be okay. Now a common, you know, so what about... You know, these yeah, but questions. One of the common ones when when thinking about that, Jesus coming back for us and encouraging us. But what if the, the pit I'm in is like my own fault? I got myself into this, right? I made I purposely made choices that hurt people. Now I'm facing the consequences. I mean, how can he even be how can he be for me with what I've done? It's my own doing, I should, you know, I should pay my own penalty. Check out verse 10 one more time because this kind of slapped me in the face as I was going through it this week. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. If you're a Bible reader, often awake or asleep is how biblical writers uh, describe dead or alive, right? You're awake, you're alive. But you're just asleep, you're dead. That is not the context Paul is using here. See, the context that Paul is using here he has just been encouraging go back and read it go back and read 1 Thessalonians 5 you can read it for at breakfast time with your family your kids will love it so Paul's been encouraging the Jesus followers to be alert and ready for when Jesus comes back he said hey be awake. Be alert. Be like, you know, a good soldier who, who's on duty and, and getting to work and helping people. Because so, we don't know when Jesus is coming. Out. We don't have so much time. Be awake. Don't be asleep. Don't, don't ignore it. Don't like just live for yourself and be like, oh, Jesus come back someday. I don't care. Right? Be asleep. That's the context he's saying. So when he says be awake, be active, don't be asleep, don't be not caring, don't be disobeying. See, he's making it clear that it's not dead and alive it's doing being a faithful jesus follower and not being a faithful jesus follower whether you are awake and ready or kind of you you've slipped you've fallen and you're asleep we may live together with him he makes it clear if you have chosen to follow jesus if you are a jesus follower even if you screw up even if you turn your back even if you fall asleep you will still live with him you will still be with him he is still coming back for you basically you can't ruin it it is that secure that's why paul in his letter to the romans wrote this who shall separate us from the love of christ are you a who by the way you're a who aren't you ask dr seuss you're a who who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Rhetorical question. Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He goes on later. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, he's kind of covering everything, as you can see, nor anything else in all creation. Are you, were you created? Are you part of you know, the world, life. Yes, you are. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't screw it up. You can't ruin it. Jesus died for you. Your mess-ups, your slip-ups, your sin is not stronger than his death. That's the whole point of the death. Jesus died for you, he is coming back for you, and you can't ruin it. That's pretty encouraging. Yeah, but John, I mean, isn't that kind of like sticking your head in the sand? Oh, you know, I have cancer. Yeah, but Jesus died for me, yay. Like, isn't that kind of just ignoring reality, right? Like, nope, everything's okay. Jesus died for me. This doesn't hurt. It hurts. Ignoring the reality of right now? I mean, how does that help anything? It doesn't help anything. That's why real encouragement admits reality. Real encouragement. To really be encouraged, you have to admit reality. You have to admit, this hurts. I am feeling discouraged. In the book, uh, maybe some of you have read it, if you're in the business world or whatnot, but the book Good to Great, by a guy named Jim Collins, he talks about... um, a guy named Admiral Jim Stockdale. If you were around a little bit in the 90s, Jim Stockdale ran for vice president with Ross Perot. If you remember that fun, fun adventure. I don't. I just remember my parents living through it. I didn't really care, but I had to watch the news anyway. So, Jim Stockdale. He was a Vietnam POW for eight years in the, in the infamous Hanoi Hilton. It's like the, one of the worst POW camps in Vietnam. For eight years, he was tortured over 20 times. And he survived. He lived through it. He came. He ran for vice president. He survived while others didn't, while people who had been there a lot less time than him didn't survive, but he did. And so he was asked, in the middle, in the middle of all of that, where you didn't, you didn't know whether you're going to live or die, you didn't know where you were, you didn't know when your next beating was coming, how did you hang on? And in this book, Jim Collins quotes him as saying, Admiral Stockdale said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never lost faith in the end of the story. That one day he would get out. He firmly held on to the belief that one day he would get out. He said, I don't know when. I don't know when it's going to happen. It might be years. I am in this prison and it is terrible but one day I will get out. And that's how he held on. And so he was asked again, why you? Know, why, you? why not others? Who the type of people that, that didn't make it out, what were they like? And he said, the optimists. Like, wait, well, didn't you just say, you know, you didn't give up faith? Why, why are the optimists the ones that, that died while you, while you stayed alive? And he said, well, the optimists would always say, hey, you know, this, this might be hard, but we're going to be out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and pass. And they say, oh, well, we'll be, we'll be out by Easter. And Easter would come, and they'd still be there. And then another Christmas would come again and again. And they died of a broken heart, he says. That they weren't facing the reality of their situation. They were there for who knows how long. They said, no, 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 we're going to get out. We're gonna, it's, everything's going to be okay right away. It's not going to hurt anymore. They didn't face the reality of their situation. So Stockdale is quoted as saying this, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality whatever they may be. See, facing reality is one of the secrets of true encouragement. It's one it's why Jesus said before he left he told his disciples, "Hey, you're going to have trouble. Life is going to be hard. Just because you follow me doesn't mean everything's going to be okay. It's going to be hard. People are going to be against you." And he says, "But don't worry take heart, some translations say, I have overcome all of that. I have overcome the world. I've overcome sin. I've overcome death. I've overcome everything that causes trouble. Yes, it will be hard, but in the end, I've overcome all of that. And so when we put this all together, where do we find true encouragement? In, In real life, not just, hey, good job, What's real encouragement? Well, here's the encouraging facts that we can remember. Encouraging facts. Life is hard. That is true. We have to admit the truth. What you are going through hurts. That is being a human. We have hurts. It's okay to admit that it hurts. Hard. Life is hard, but Jesus died for you. Life is hard, but Jesus died for you. And he is coming back for you. There will be a happy ending if you fall, when you follow Jesus. Jesus died for you. If you trust that, he is coming back for you. And you can't ruin it. That kid who grew up in church and, you know, committed their life to Jesus, and said, I want to be a Jesus follower, and they went off to college and they fell away, parents, they can't ruin it. You can't ruin it. Jesus died. Life is hard. Jesus died for you. He's coming back for you, and you can't ruin it. And so what does that actually look like when we're together, when we're being better together? How do we encourage each other with this type of thing? How How to encourage? John's two steps to how to encourage. Well, if you're going to encourage each other, you need to be together. To be better together, you have to be together. Be together. You can't encourage anyone by looking at the back of their head. right? You right now, you're really not in a good place to encourage people around you. It would be rude. I would be offended if you kept encouraging people around you. Don't worry, he's almost done. You'll get through this. Right? You have to know and be known in order to encourage, in order to be encouraged. You have to have a time that you are available for people to say, hey, life is hard right now. You have to be available to offer encouragement. So be together, just be there. There's times where you just need to be there. You need to shut up and just be there. Not trying to fix everything. Not Not trying to give platitudes, here's your sticker. Just be there, be present sometimes quietly, and a good way to be there is connect groups. If you're part of Cross Creek, even if you're not part of Cross Creek, you're like, you know what, I, want, I don't really have this a group of people where I can just be there and be in encouragement and be encouraged. That's why we created what we call connect groups. It's small groups that we have here that meet in different homes. Some meet here on Wednesday night, and there's still space in these groups. You can sign up on a, on a card that says connect or online where it says connect a place to be known, a place to know people where you can encourage and where you can be encouraged, where you can be together. That's why we designed that environment. And so that's step one, be together. How to encourage? Well, first you have to be together. Second part, remember the facts. Remember the facts. Encourage each other with the truth. See, the truth takes the power out of disappointment. And of course this needs to be done at the right time. When somebody calls you and said, Hey, my mom just died, and then you remind them of all the facts, that doesn't really help. You have to use tact. You have to be wise. But in some way, you can you can use this framework to encourage someone in the right way. Right? The facts. Life is hard. This sucks. I know. I know you're hurting. Maybe I haven't gone through it myself, but I know you're hurting, and I want you to know I am here with you. Life is hard. That's a fact. Life is hard, but Jesus died for you. You are not alone. It may seem like you're alone, but God is so for you that he died for you. You are not alone in this. He loves you, and he's coming back for you. This isn't the end There actually is a happy ending for those who follow Jesus. It will be better. And you can't ruin it. He will not and has not given up on you. None of this pain, none of this hurt means he is not for you. means he's given up. He hasn't. You can't ruin it. My neighbor... um, he just, he just moved in. <laughs> the week he moved in, we put up our for sale sign. And so I had to explain to him it wasn't because he moved in. It wasn't the week. It was a few months later. But still, the first, like the second time I talked to him, say, said, hey, we're not moving because of you. Right? And then he, they were gone for a while, and I, I heard from some neighbors that uh, something had happened in their family. And I didn't, I didn't somebody, somebody had died. Like somebody who was living in the house, he had kind of had extended family in the house, had died. And so the next time I s- see him, I'm like, hey, what's, how are you doing? Good to see you. He's like, oh, I'm good. I'm like, but what's, I heard something happen. What happened? He's like, oh, man, my, my wife died. Like, we were on family vacation. She got a headache, and then she went into a coma, and she died. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, we're just, you know, talking, you don't usually get that deep with your neighbors. And I didn't, you know, he's, he's an older guy, and so I just, I didn't know him, but I, I just hugged him, you know, and he started crying. Just, I just hugged him. I was just, like, and I'm not trying to make myself the hero of the story, but just how this works is, you know, just, I was just there, and I hugged him, and I found out that he's Catholic, and so he, he believes in God, he knows, he knows that Jesus loves him, and so he came over, he has the garden, he brought us vegetables and stuff, and he said, yeah, life's, life's been really hard, you know, like, our son's disabled, and, and now this, and he starts breaking down, and I'm like, hey, he loves you, he loves you, he's like, yeah, you're right, he does, and we're, we're gonna be okay, but it's hard. I know it's hard. He's like, yeah, but he, he loves us. You know, we're, we're not alone. He loves us. See, it's just these simple truths that we can encourage people with. Be there and share and just explain the truth. Remind them of the facts. And so, be there and remember the facts. Now, there might be another step for you, whether you're here or whether you're watching Online. Maybe these facts aren't encouraging for you. Maybe they're not encouraging for you because you haven't accepted them. Like you're like, well, you know, Jesus seems cool. You know, I I get that He loves me, but coming back for me, I, I don't know if I'm in that group, right? I don't know if I'm that Jesus follower. Maybe this maybe this all this stuff, this happy ending sounds too good to be true. But think about it. Like take a second, you're safe, nobody knows what you're thinking. Think about it just for a second deep down don't you kind of want this to be true don't you kind of want it to be true like give me just give me a second just humor me for a second wouldn't it be pretty great if there was a god who loves you wouldn't it be amazing if there's a god who is for you like knows you like created you on purpose with your personality and is so for you that he's willing to die for you wouldn't that be great wouldn't it, be, like, that, wouldn't it be great to know that your life has an eternal purpose? You're not just here by accident? That your pain has a reason? It's not just random? That someday there will be justice for every wrong that's ever been done against you? We all want that to be true. Why? Why do we all want that to be true? I mean, I guess our two options are it's, you know, it's a weird, cruel evolutionary leftover that let our ancient ancestors survive, right? This idea that there's someone out there who's for you. could be that. Or is it possible, just possible, that there's a loving, heavenly Father that put that desire in us that we would recognize our longing for Him? Isn't that possible? Maybe there is. If there is a loving God, wouldn't He put that desire in us to know Him? To want that to be true. And I know it might sound crazy, but here's the historical facts. And just, I'm, I'm almost done. Just give me one more second. Jesus was a real person. There's no legitimate historian who says, no, no, Jesus never existed. Jesus existed, he was a real person. Historical fact, he was crucified. Nobody questions that. And when he was dead, everyone thought it was all over. His followers, ran and the people who were closest to him thought he was dead forever. They ran and they hid. There was no one who said, you know what, Jesus's teachings were so good, we should write them down and we should start uh, book clubs and really study what Jesus taught and have this philosophy around him. And, you know, because there wasn't. They all fled and ran. It was all over because all those teachings he had based it on, all that love he had talked about, it was all based on himself and who he was being being the king being being god in a body being the 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 promised one it was all based on on getting close to god through jesus and now he's dead there was nobody saying oh we got to carry this on they ran for their lives and they hid and then something happened something happened out of nowhere A week later, his followers stopped hiding. These these fishermen and uneducated people and, and tax collectors, they stopped hiding and they walked into the street saying that Jesus was alive. And they all had the same story. Jesus was dead, now he's alive. They stood before the same officials who had executed Jesus, who had the power to execute them, and they said, you executed Jesus, but it didn't work long enough. It actually didn't take They weren't afraid to die. They weren't afraid of anything. See, when you're not afraid to die, you're not really afraid of much, are you? And when they started talking and and, and gathering followers, they didn't teach rules. They didn't teach rituals. They didn't teach a religion. They said they saw Jesus dead. Then they saw him alive and they had breakfast with him. And everyone can have eternal life through him. We saw him die. We were there. We saw him alive. We touched him. In fact, 500 of us, they said, saw him and were with him. And you can have eternal life through him. And then what seemed impossible actually happened. This, this belief grew and grew. This movement grew. And this, this small band of 11 dudes Stuck together and told this story. And the temple of Jerusalem that seemed like it would stand for thousands of years crumbled. Jewish religion was scattered and they had to kind of rebrand it a little bit. The Roman Empire, the Romans who had control over life and death for most of the known world, the Roman Empire crumbled. But today, 2,000 years later, there are still thousands and thousands and thousands of people who said, my life has been changed Because Jesus is alive. Their lives have been changed. Maybe, and I I hope this isn't offensive, but maybe you want it to be true because it is true. Maybe it's time to have the hope that has changed the world and countless lives for 2,000 years. So honestly, I think it would be cruel of me not to give you a chance to make that choice say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. There's, if there's never been a point in your life where you said, I want to follow Jesus. I, this makes sense. I, I want to know him. I, want, I, want, I, I believe that God is for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I trust you to forgive me of my sin. Not doing a whole bunch of good stuff to make up for it because once you sin, you sin. It's there. No matter what you do, it's, you can't take it away. Only Jesus' death takes that away and trusting in that. I trust in you to forgive my sin, to give me a perfect and eternal relationship with you. There's never been a point in your life that you've said that and you've made that choice. I want to give you a chance to make that choice today. And so we're not going to do anything weird. I just, I just want to, this is like the safest way I could think of doing it for us, is if we just all closed our eyes and bowed our heads, not looking around, and there's no magic to this, but if that's a choice you're ready to make today, and if, if not, we, you, that's okay. But that's a choice you're ready to make, and maybe you're online, you can email us. I'm not going to make you do anything where just look at me, make eye contact with me. There's never been a point in your life where you said, I want to follow Jesus. Today, I want to make that choice. Look me in the eye so I know that is you. We can make eye contact, and I can, I can pray for you. Yes? Now maybe you're online and you're watching and we can't make eye contact. That's okay. Let me pray for you and you you can pray with me if you want. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for, for making it possible for me to have an eternal relationship with you. Forgive me of my sin. I trust in your death to forgive me and give me new life. Thank you for loving me and being for me. Right now, I choose to follow you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, whether you looked at me or not, we would love to know it. There's a card, you can, the Connect card, and you say, I chose to follow Jesus, and we can get you some more information about what that means, what that looks like. If you're online, you can email us, and we can do the same thing, get you some information that might kind of help explain what you kind of just chose to do. But I want to ask us a few questions as we close. What would you try to do if you knew everything would be okay? What would you be willing to try to do if you knew everything would be okay? What if you knew in the end it would all work out? What would you be willing to do? What would you be afraid of if even death didn't scare you? See, the truth of Jesus has been encouraging Jesus' followers for centuries We actually we actually have historical proof. A guy named Lucian wrote this in 170 AD, talking about Christians. He says, The poor wretches, making fun of them, the poor wretches have convinced themselves, first and foremost, that they're going to be immortal and live for all time. In consequence, they despise death and even willingly give themselves into custody. See, even in the early days, this was their belief that through Jesus you would live forever, that everything would be okay, you would have an eternal relationship with your heavenly Father. And people mocked them for it, and that's okay. So Jesus followers encourage each other with the truth. Life is hard. Jesus died for you. He is coming back for you, and you can't ruin it. See, this simple encouragement changed the world once, and it can do it again. And maybe, maybe more importantly to you, it will change your family, it'll change your work, it'll change your school, it'll change your life. And So let, let's be better together. Let's be devoted to each other. Let's bear one another's burdens. Let's forgive each other preemptively, and let's encourage each other with the truth. And we'll show the world that Jesus is alive that he offers real life, and that he is still changing lives. Because when we are better together, the world has hope. When we are better together, the world has hope that there is more, that life can be different, that God is for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are for us. Thank you that there is a happy ending, that Yes, life is hard, but you are in it with us. That you died for us. That you died for us so that there is a way to be with you. That there is a way to have that happy ending. And we can't do anything to ruin it. Thank you for loving us that much. Show us your love. Show us who you are. Show us how to love each other this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope you guys have a great week. I hope you have an encouraging week. Speaking of encouraging, I want to encourage you As we are starting a new series next week, a new series is a great time to invite friends to Cross Creek. In fact, Cross Creek is designed that any series is a great series to invite friends to. So feel free to invite people next week. But we will see you. I hope you have a great one.